and you want a brand from this dead artist. I find dead people are really not very good at social media. (laughs) The Green Rush is real. From lawmakers and investment bankers to CEOs and investors, we'll look at how people are transforming cannabis from the shadows of the black market into a cash crop that draws in cannapreneurs from Hollywood to Wall Street. Here to help you navigate the business of cannabis, Please welcome Lewis Goldberg and Ann Donahoe, brought to you by KCSA Strategic Communications. Welcome to The Green Rush. I'm Ann Donahoe with Lewis Goldberg, and we're recording this week in Vegas at MJ Biz. And today we're chatting with Bruce Linton, the CEO of Canopy Growth, Canada's largest marijuana producer. Bruce, thanks for joining us. How's everybody? Great. How are really you? Really good. I'm well. So, so can you, we were, as we were doing our research, yeah. The thing, one of the things that really jumped out at me was the equal study that you guys are doing. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Because I found that f- fascinating. So um, the good thing and the bad thing about the company going from me walking around with an idea at the end of 2012 and the first four or five people I asked, do you want to do it, saying, no, you're crazy, uh, to today where we have about 640 people, is it's actually quite a lot easier to do many things. The downside is I'm not as expert on every one of them. And so we've got concurrently, I think, about four or five studies going mm-hmm. and we have 27 patents filed some of which intertwine with the studies because you need to get novel data to determine whether or not you have a defensible patent once you file your provisionals mm-hmm. so on the equal one i can't even tell you with absolute certainty without misrepresenting potentially where we are in the study what we're getting out of it and the, the can uh, you just so, explain because the people so, most of the people who are listening won't well, know what it is so what we try to do is um that one and i'll have to rewind it we had that one batting around probably now two years and the whole point of uh, our studies were first to determine what, against what indication are you taking this? Mm-hmm. With what frequency, with what uh, perceived benefit? So we actually get a several thousand person cohort of baseline data. And then we take that baseline data and we put it through much more narrow purposes. So when we uh, decided in Canopy Health that we wanted to pursue sleep, anecdotally, everyone is quite familiar that sleep is a major and primary indication, but uh, which strains, what dosage, what times, um, with what results, whether or not your sleep is a primary or secondary consideration. You know, is it, it are you um, not sleeping because you have a other medical condition? Right. Or are you not sleeping because you're not sleeping? And then if you dig into it, is it in fact that you're waking because of anxiety? Is that really uh, primary or secondary? Mm-hmm. And so when we use a study, the point of the exercise to actually narrow the focus of all the subsequent inquiries so we can actually determine by what format should we provide what product? And what I mean by that is, for example, uh, what comes out of a study like that and leads to canopy health is if a person can't fall asleep, it's a very different mechanism of delivery and dosage strategy than if they can't stay asleep. And you're able to do this in Canada yeah. because of well, the can- federal structure versus here. Yeah, so what we have in Canada is the largest cohort of medically approved, and I mean like at all level of governments on a well-structured basis, the largest cohort of medical patients on the planet that could be actively viewed as in a phase four clinical trial because they're consuming a medicinal product for which there may or may not have actually been a defined indication, but they're taking it, they're yeah. using it. And, and the so, only other country I think that we know of that does anything like this is Israel, right? Yeah, there's, but the, if you, you know, if you have 12 people and you want to do a medical trial, that's a bit challenging. <laughs> um, so what you really want to have is a deep enough pool that has had a long enough period of time under a structured public policy that you can actually capture data over a group and time horizon that makes it uh, legitimate. 
And so part of the thing that's maybe often overlooked is Canada actually is the deep end of the pool as far as the ability to get uh, intellectual property development around medical indications because we actually have this cohort of people. We have this well-structured practice. And many people don't know, but like um, in Canada, doctors are basically a public servant. They're paid by the government. Now, there's there's some nuances to that. Oh, we've heard. Trust me, we've heard <laughs> down here about the Canadian health well, system, and we are we envious. We have a senator called well, Bernie Sanders. <laughs> well, so, so what happens with that, though, is that um, the profit will actually exist in a big way, mm-hmm. which means, yeah, they do get paid for seeing more patients and things of that nature, but they actually have to, they have a very objective, difficult to sway view on what they're going to prescribe or give access to their patients. And so uh, in that model, it, it means that you have tens of thousands of doctors, thousands and thousands of doctors who are writing scripts, not a couple hundred who are getting paid, uh, you know, 45 bucks a script and getting through as fast as they can. Right. And so it, it probably is a, I'll call it a more uh, thoughtful or considered or rational pool because it's such a diversity across the whole country through a common process of government paid doctors who had to decide that maybe this is a geriatric uh, option for you. So we didn't get a chance to introduce you. Oh, we yeah. just jumped right in. Um, That's because there's a microphone and I start talking as soon as I see one. <laughs> That's fine. I usually run. So um, I've, never met, I, I've never met a mic I didn't like. That's, um, so yes. So a future politician? I, I think I actually am. I hit my pinnacle of political achievement when I was president of the Carleton University Students Association. <laughs> and it had phenomenal benefits of being the president in that you could actually not get thrown out of the pub because you were the boss. Ah, and, nice. Um, you didn't have to wait in line because you were the boss. And uh, so I thought that was probably the best political job that would exist. Is that how you met your wife? Uh, no, I, I probably attempted to meet version, beta versions. I don't know that any other political office gives you access to not being kicked out of a pub. And so I'm not really, sure many people would kick you out of a pub right now. Yeah, but really, you know, you got to think about what are the outcomes um, of doing that. But probably the reason I like microphones is the university I attended had a journalism school. Uh, and when you're the um, uh, president of the Students Association, they have to write stories so frequently. They interview you four, five, six, ten times a week. And uh, I didn't really appreciate what the job of a journalist was prior to being president. And then I realized I was glad I wasn't going to be one because I actually had to do a lot of work. Yeah. And uh, so I think part of the reason Canopy's had uh, some visibility is I actually believe being a journalist uh, is a tough job. Um, and we, I, anytime they ask, I meet and try to give them some outrageous thing and some practical things and make their story <laughs> reasonable. So um, it does actually all kind of link together in a weird way. So the big news for you clearly was the, the Constellation Wait, deal. Wait, we saw it. Oh, oh, yeah. So you're right. <laughs> it's, I feel like it's a bit of a mystery game, and guests can try to determine yeah, who yeah, I am. Exactly. We know that the big news of the last two weeks or so has been con- the Constellation news. Yeah. Um, I was also really excited to find out that they own Kim Crawford, which is my personal I, I think it's, it, it's made a whole bunch of people <laughs> look at their brands and go, actually. Uh, I had no idea. And because they did it first, a whole bunch of people are going, you know what, I am going to buy Miomi or Corona or mm-hmm. Kim Crawford because these guys actually did it. Forward yeah, they're, yeah. Cool. they're the um, first guys to, to jump in. Yeah. Well, can you tell us a little yeah. bit about the genesis of that? You approached, I think you approached them. Yeah, so um, in December of last year, uh, we reached out because, well, we are, I guess we are the largest producer of cannabis. Our objective is not to land in that category. What we want to be is 
the most vertically integrated, uh, most interesting product creator on the planet. And in order to make uh, what we want to make, you have to have quite a lot of production. You have to have a div sort of a, a diversity of sophistication levels in your extraction. And then you have to have labs and you have to have uh, a whole end game where you want to actually think about the medical market and what that should look like as a really finished product so that people can actually get insurance coverage and, and all the things that should be benefits of the product. And then on the uh, access uh, or rec side, it's how do we evolve this as an ingredient into something that becomes a socially normalized consumption product. And when I say it that way, I don't want to sound like a total nerd, but the reality is that the people right now who like consume cannabis aren't the majority that need to be comfortable with the product. And so we reached out to Constellation because they are, if you look at their five-year stock chart, what they've figured out is how to um, use analytics, uh, product positioning, product evolution, product categories, everything about how you take what is a quiet category and dominate. So they've gone from like a $10 stock to a $200 stock. They've gone from a small market share to a big market mm -hmm. share. And they have brands that everybody really likes. So we reached out to them to say, we know quite a lot about marijuana and making end stuff. Um, we'd like to talk to you guys about like, you know, if we're going to use limonene uh, as a flavoring agent, we're going to take it from the terpenes versus other sources. How do you guys... Think about that, and how do you do it so that it stays clear? And you know all the questions you have. So the conversation began; it kept evolving. Um, how how hard was it to get them comfortable? You know, talking about marijuana, talking about cannabis. Well, we so um, a big thing about getting something done is deciding who you want to do it with. And mm -hmm. so these guys had been evident uh, based on Mr. Sands uh, had made a, a statement um, about a year ago now about the fact that he was interested in the market. Well, shoot, compared to every other person in the alcohol industry, which would like the market not to exist. Oh, when you think about um, where we are in Las yeah. Vegas right yeah. now, right? Yeah, so, um, uh, well, um, you know, I, I don't want to use the word stalker, but maybe I'm a stalker. Um, <laughs> but, um, I've been watching very carefully Constellation, Diageo, mm -hmm. all the big beer brands, and even the name Canopy mm -hmm. arises out of the fact that if you're going to put things, brands under something, we thought it was kind of clever that they were going to have all the brands under a Constellation, you know, the stars mm -hmm. are nice. My thought was that if it ever rains, it's really nice to have something over your head. So a canopy is why we have this and why the oh, name canopy yeah. holds. Well, just think about how pleasant it is under a canopy. Yeah. I could have called it a tent, but that doesn't sound very elegant. But a canopy is a nice place. So we, we saw that they were going in the right direction. We liked their portfolio. I've been stocking. I wish I'd have bought their stock when I started tracking them. Um, I think you're okay. Now. I'm okay now. Um, <laughs> I'm still looking at the free coffee over there. It looks pretty good to me. Um, but uh, so we, no, I'm just joking because it's free. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I began looking at them. And it was really clear that they were embracing the opportunity rather than trying to discourage it. And so internally, it didn't exist. Yeah, yeah. So internally, we just kept talking about the fact that, you know, I think that the people um, 100 plus years or 80 years ago who were in the transportation business using trains probably were disappointed. They didn't perceive transport trucks as a good thing and tried to hold them back. And we see a lot of the other sector players who, they want to be in the train business, not the transportation with the truck business. And, you know, as an analogy, you can see how that turned out. Um, and so I think there was a good fit. Uh, what I liked about them, and, and people say, well, that's a big check. And quite surprisingly, in Canada, during the period of working with these guys to figure out if we're going to do something, I was offered some multiple of the money uh, because people are always trying to finance in especially the last four or five months right. and really in the last two before I made this announcement. Um, but I didn't want the money from anywhere. I wanted to have someone that was an institutional holder 
who we could actually work with. And so it was all about the working with. And so like next week and yesterday, I spent four or five hours taking one of their very senior and key people all around this trade show. Hmm. And uh, we were exhausted when it was over, but you know, the, the, the opportunity to spend and learn. And like next week, we're down at their shop and we, we do a strat session and brainstorming. And, and so this really is uh, intended to be a way to create something great. And if the culture wasn't there, I wouldn't care if somebody had twice the money and half the price. Uh, what kills companies is a partnership or a relationship where one party is of absolutely alternate, uh, I'll call it DNA. So our culture is a startup. Their culture, believe it or not, appears to and feels like a really aggressive entrepreneurial environment. And so those two things go together very right. well. So we're talking with Bruce Linton, uh, CEO of Canopy Growth, and we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors, and we'll be back. More Green Rush coming up after we roll through our sponsors. Introducing 420 Cloud, ignited by MSIG, one of the fastest growing social apps around. The only app you'll need for all things cannabis. Find the latest cannabis news, videos, and stories, ranging from business and tech to sports and medicine. Start your career in cannabis by seeking, identifying, and applying for jobs through our expansive listings. For businesses, 420cloud.com features a full-scale cross-channel network, monetizing high traffic for big data conversion and analytics. Download 420 Cloud now from the iTunes Store or Google Play. MSIG.com is a publicly listed company on the OTC. Symbol MCIG. Cannabis concentrates have been around for hundreds of centuries. In 19th century America, extracts mixed with other herbs were sold as a miracle cure. Now, Apex Supercritical has elevated the science of extraction into the 21st century. Apex Supercritical is the leader in CO2 extraction, which is the cleanest, safest, and purest way to extract plant oils. ROI in as little as three weeks. Our cost-effective systems are fully automated with an industry-leading three-year warranty. And if we don't have your system in stock, we can build one in as little as four weeks. Bringing CO2 extraction to the masses. Learn more at apeksupercritical.com. Four-week build excludes high production systems. Banking and Bud, understanding the business of cannabis. Welcome back to The Green Rush, only on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back with Bruce Linton. CEO of Canopy Growth. So let's let's pivot a little bit because you know not everybody only wants to talk about the money. Um, let's talk about Snoop Dogg a little bit. Yeah. Does he have any nicknames for you? <laughs> um, he, he has uh, in his team. So really, a a very effective uh, anything always has a very competent team. Mm-hmm. So Ted and Tiffany and his team uh, are really really good. But what's been nice with uh, working uh, with him is. When we announced that in uh, February of uh, February of 2016, okay, seems like forever ago. It was considered a shocking <laughs> a, in dog years. Right? Yeah, it was considered a shocking and completely unexpected thing to do. And at the beginning, you have what you always have at the beginning is a relationship that has to build. And over time, I think uh, we've done a good job of positioning his brand. He's done a great job of taking an interest and in attending to our sites and seeing the scale and scope of what we do. And so I think that the, um, the confidence each party has in the other has really developed. And I think that means as we go out, there's quite a lot of uh, things that we could probably do together that if you tried to write them into an agreement two years ago and say, you have to do this, nobody would be comfortable. 
So and now it's good. Are there going to be Snoop drinks? You know, I mean, the par part of the partnership with Constellation, everybody is assuming is to create cannabis-infused mm -hmm. drinks. Are we going to have, you know, Snoop Cola or something? Um, I, I think that would be a great one. So there's no defined path on what brands will do or won't do. Uh, but the objective in the association is we are, um, Constellation is our beverage partner, period, mm -hmm. for the world. And we are their cannabis partner. And uh, the reason you want to be all in on that basis is there's absolutely nothing in either of those categories that we wouldn't completely openly share with each other. And that means that you can actually, you don't have to be guarded in your discussions or thinking or what material. So maybe that'll become a Snoop thing, don't know. Um, but as far as I can tell, um, I've been in some of their offices there. There have been a lot of different Snoop things. There's a cabinet in Ted's office that has, I think there's cereal ones that was his <laughs> stuff. So, like, I mean, it's it's amazing. It's like Cal Snoopula? Yeah, his brand, is, um, his brand has uh, been everywhere. And I think it's probably, uh, if you were doing one of those analytics on brand value, I think his brand value has never been greater than yeah. it is today. Uh, which is why, like, when a lot of people bring us, um, you know, they'll say, well, do you want a brand from this dead artist? I find dead people are really not very good at social media. And, um, <laughs> Snoop is really good at. I don't know. We have media. we have one guy who I can tell you <laughs> who's so, handled. You know. So, I, but what what you have to have is a texture, and a texture can't be entirely historic. And so that that's part of what we really like is how active he is. So the you you are a research and data based organization, you know, core to to what you're describing from the medical side of mm -hmm. cannabis and developing brands. Um, how are you thinking about leveraging the research facilities that? you know, the R&D testing facilities that, that Constellation has to help you develop new product or new formulations or, or form factors? Yeah, so, um, you know, we're, we're two weeks in to figuring it all out. But, um, I mean, you don't have it all done right now? <laughs> so what we have is in Canada, inside of Canopy, we have pretty extensive labs and rights to do things. So we have uh, the way regulations often work is rather than changing the regulation, what you do is you, uh, as a bureaucrat, suspend parts of it. So there's a portion in Canada called Section 56, which when suspended allows us to create products that we're not allowed to sell. And that's actually pretty good because it makes it legal to create almost anything you could imagine that could involve cannabinoids uh, and other active ingredients. I just can't sell them. But figuring them out is probably a lot harder than selling them. And so what we need to do is over the next months, year, uh, work with what is it we want? Um, who wants it? Which starts with data. Um, and I keep referencing the 54-year-old female with a Gucci bag who hasn't bought beer and hasn't bought cannabis, at least in the last 20 years. But she has But she buys white wine now, and she might want uh, a branded product because if you have a Gucci bag, it means you care about brands. Mm -hmm. And if you're 54, there's probably money in that Gucci bag. And so um, how do we make Cash some credit? <laughs> Both and plenty of depth in, in both categories. So how do we make products which would appeal to people who might not otherwise think that they wish to buy cannabis? And so when you start working backwards mm -hmm. from that consideration, I think it becomes a pretty interesting game and uh, one I think we'll do okay at. So um, Canada, the U.S. market is significantly larger right now, but it is fractured and it's this odd regulatory structure. Um, and it seems like we are seeding both literally and pun intended, the, the weed market to our, our partners to the north. How integral is the international expansion for you to, to 
your strategy? I mean, I know that you have mm-hmm. partnerships in Germany and, and, and all over. How much is that vital to where you're going as a company? So we're, we're right now in six countries. Um, we go wherever it's federally permissible. And I think there'll be medical markets for quite a long time before necessarily flipping to a mixed market. And it's key because we have about 35 million people in Canada. And, you know, in one corner of Germany, they have that many. And so it is important that if you're going to create things that you have a, a runway that can go further. On the U.S. scenario, um, I think it's almost like it's two experiments. One is to look at um, how do we do this on a large-scale national basis. And the other is how do we make this a really regionalized opportunity. And the longer it goes, um, the more unclear it is to me whether or not there would actually be a benefit or desire to change it. When I say that, like, um, if I were in Colorado and I were a producer and I was doing well, better than I had in any of my prior businesses or jobs, um, I'm not sure I would want to have it federally changed because the economic change might mean that I no longer have a business opportunity. Yep. And, and I think that um, if you're looking at... I don't know which is the better scenario. I think that um, I think they each have outcomes that are positive and they're maybe different in how they get allocated to companies and individuals. But uh, the longer the U.S. experiment runs, I think that the more diversified the big gains are going to be and the, the less likely you're going to have a regulation which makes for a really large-scale production. Um, um, well, I'm going to pivot for a second. Um, and you do a ton of interviews and a ton of media. Oh, I talk by my answers. You'd think I'd get better at shorter answers, would you? Well, no, I, <laughs> no, this I, is great. I love actually. It, but, so my question to you is, what question don't you get asked that you wish you got asked? Um, well, it's almost more like uh, people generally want to approach this that it's marijuana. And what it is is public policy. What it is is regulation. We're exiting prohibition. And so I think it's almost like a bias where people still want to treat it as a uh, a topic of the specific content of we, what we make, when in reality, what this is all about is an evolution on a global basis of public policy. And so it's, maybe it sounds really boring, which is why people don't want to talk about public policy, but in the absence of good public policy, the probability of this changing is zero. Mm-hmm. And so we can just look around the countries and that are trying to do it and like, you know, if you look at Italy, their approach to how they wanted to work didn't work very well, and they're re- rejigging. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at Canada, it worked better. But our public policy in Canada was informed since 2001. And the reason that matters is from 2001 until 2013, we had a, a, a method of access uh, in Canada that had positive and negatives, and it informed the next wave of public policy, and we're sort of on our fourth wave. Um, if you compare that with Australia, they have not had a history of public policy related to cannabis, so they're just learning kind of where we were in 2001. They were in 2015-16. And so the rate at which things are going to change globally are really based on whose public policy you borrow, which country are you leaning to, and then what model. And so there'll be, there, there are and will be more countries that borrow Canada and the U.S. Um, but I, I really think that a lot of times the, the interview misses the fact that this isn't about marijuana and it's not about Canada and it's not about being the biggest. Yeah, like those are the headlines, but the content is, you hate to say it, but like um, a lot of the reason we're succeeding is early on, it was evident to me, we were not actually being governed by our regulators to produce cannabis. We were being governed to not lose it. Hmm. And when you recognize globally, when you're a producer of cannabis, you're actually in the cannabis not losing business. Because um, if you don't have a very good control system, the probability that the black market will um, 
participate or that a bureaucrat will be embarrassed is pretty high. More Green Rush coming up after we roll through our sponsors. Strainwise Consulting is the most sought-after consulting company for cannabis business applications and management contracts. We consulted on the first recreational license in the world and have had an over 95% success rate on applications submitted. The industry is growing at such an exponential rate that building a powerful and lasting cannabis business is a number one priority. Here's Strainwise's Sean Eubanks. In our first five years, we branded and supported nine medical and recreational marijuana dispensaries and approximately 160,000 square feet of sophisticated and efficient product cultivation. Strainwise Consulting has the experience and expertise to guide you through the process. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is him being that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Banking and Bud, understanding the business of cannabis. Welcome back to The Green Rush, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to the Green Rush. I'm Ann Donahue with Lewis Goldberg, uh, and we are recording in Vegas at MJ Biz. And today we're chatting with Bruce Linton, the CEO of one of the most talked about cannabis companies in the world right now. Probably the most. Probably the about. most. We won't make you guess. It's Canopy Growth, <laughs> Canada's largest manufacturer, largest marijuana producer. So we are at the segment that we do every week called Puff Puff Pass. <laughs> so it's just this is where you're supposed so, to be. Quick. So we just talked about public policy. Yeah. And now we're at Puff Puff Pass. Well, this is just two things that you love about the industry, and the one thing that drives you nuts. Uh, I love two things. One is uh, I do love the fact that public policy and rules matter um, because I think it's so important if we're going to exit. Um, I also love the fact that it is incredibly intense. So, like, if you like busy, this is like busy getting busy. <laughs> yeah, um, the thing that I dislike is there are a number, an increasing number of entrants who want to just get rich and run. Mm-hmm. And um, what do you want to run to? Why do they want to diminish the credibility of the sector so they can have some money and go play golf more or something? Like, don't do it if you don't want to do it. Right. If you don't want to actually work and be a proper entrant, don't enter. Go get rich somewhere else, but don't wreck a good sector. Well, that, that, and I mean, I know we are, we're supposed to be done. I just want to ask one more question. So um, we were talking about Alan Brockstein yeah. earlier, and he had, he had predicted that 2018 was going to be the year that we saw a tremendous amount of institutional money flow into the sector. Mm. Um, and we're hearing that there's going to be a tremendous amount of consolidation. What do you think is going to happen financially? Is it going to, are we going to see real players like you eat up a lot of the smaller players? Are we going to see real money flow in? What, what's going to happen? So um, the only reason a lot of institutional money isn't in Canada from the U.S. is the only reason we may not end up with a big institutional uh, lift is that um, in Canada we don't have FINRA, we don't have SEC, we have provincial authorities and they all have different agendas and we don't have a national securities regulator, which is why 
I, I've been to Boston enough times in enough of the offices, I have my assigned seat at the table. There's a bunch of major capital that would come up if the sector in Canada was regulated, where if you invest in Canada, it's legal from Boston. But if I take your money and redeploy it into any of the U.S. jurisdictions, now I've done indirectly for you what you could not have directly done yourself. You'd be a money launderer. Well, I think there's a whole bunch of words that start with R, like RICO, racketeering, things <laughs> like that. And, and the issue is that they are not going to explain, well, I'm with the good company that doesn't do that. They mm -hmm. have to be in a sector that doesn't have to be explained. And so I don't know if 2018 is the year because I'm not confident our regulator combination. They're still relying on, um, you know, prior presidents, uh, controls and representations of what the DEA will be funded to do or not. And so um, some of those coal memorandums didn't actually suspend the law. They just suspended the budget. And if you use that logic, if, uh, if an entity in any federal jurisdiction has no budget to enforce something, you should be allowed to do it from Canada is the general <laughs> logic. I suspect there's places like the Congo that don't have a lot of budget for their environmental protection. So could I just disclose, because they have no money, I'm going to dump all the cyanide in the river and that'll make my gold mine more profitable. Right. Now, now I've told you I should be allowed to do it. So there's no logic in a boundary that says if a rule still exists but isn't enforced, you should be able to break it. And so I think that'll, that'll question the big funds. As far as consolidation, um, I don't, from a canopy perspective, what I don't wish to own ever anymore are ones which are small. Right. I want to work with them. And the reason isn't that I'm a super nice guy. The reason is that you need to be an entrepreneur in a building running it if it's under 100,000 square feet. Um, the overheads associated with quality assurance and all the things that we have to do to keep compliant mean that that's not a size that I want. That size or smaller is a great business for an entrepreneur in it. And we love having their product in our store. I'm not buying them. And so I think consolidation may happen in the mid-tier, but it won't happen with the smaller guys. They're actually going to have a great feed chain to come to the bigger stores, present their product just like you might in a mall, right? and do very well. Um, so I think consolidation is maybe overplayed and a lot of the little guys who are getting tired would like to be bought but the reality is that they should just go back to work and have fun well i think that's 30 minutes okay Thanks, um, guys. thank you very much no problem so, i'm already now it is it is already morning at 8 39 and i'm already now the late bruce luncheon <laughs> <laughs> rascal will do the outro stuff yes okay. thank you. thanks guys really thank you so thank much you. okay great special thanks to our guest bruce linton the ceo of canopy growth Check them out at CanopyGrowth.com and on Twitter at CanopyGrowth. And they trade under the awesome ticker of weed on the TSX. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.